You're listening to the Tools for the Modern Man podcast. If you're looking for the tools to deal with the challenges of this ever-changing modern world, you're in the right place. Now let's get it going. All right, welcome everybody to the Tools for the Modern Man podcast. Uh, this is episode number two of this two-parter. Uh, we broke it off yesterday, right as Mike was starting his journey to the final summit. And it is an incredible, incredible story. Uh, if you liked part one, you're going to love part two. Stay through to the very end because the gold and the nuggets that are shared um, by Mike about his reflections on the journey, on the, the hike, on everything else, his next steps going forward. So I really hope you enjoy this second part of this two-part podcast. Okay, so let's fast forward to 2018. You made the big career shift. You dedicated two extra, you know, two years of training and focus and everything else to get to the point where you have an opportunity. What happens then? Um, 2019 hits. So it was, it was something I'd been planning. And then when it became real, like you bought your flights and you had your visa and you then things become real. And that's when the nerves start to set in. And you just start to think to yourself, have I done enough? But there wasn't much time. I mean, I wasn't going to change anything about what I had done. I wasn't going to fill any more gaps. I wasn't going to be stupid about it. Uh, so 2019 rolls around early. You know, I figured out everything with the company. Everything was, I don't know if everybody was happy, but most people were happy. They knew it was part of the deal. And I had everything together. I had you know sponsors put together. Everything was working well. And then made the flight over to Nepal, met up with my team. Fantastic. Everything, you know, with a few hiccups, everything was, was fantastic. Uh, we had, I was in the position where I saved up enough to pay for some luxuries, more oxygen than I needed, for instance, a pretty good tent, um, good food, all of these things that are really important. I didn't get too hung up on like having the best of the best, like having satellite TV. I don't really care. I'd rather have better food. But all of that stuff, you know, we made the decisions uh, within the group of what we were going to put the money towards. And of course, the Sherpas, the guides that were going to guide me up. I didn't go up on my sick by myself. You can't do it anyway. But um, I got there and Everything was new and interesting. And, you know, you go through the process of acclimatization, which takes a month. Like you don't just show up at base camp and start climbing. That's impossible. I mean, if you flew into base camp and got out, it wouldn't be long until you were very sick and close to death, just because our bodies are not used to that. So it does take a really long time. So we climbed a few summits on our way up. I didn't get sick, thank God. Um, got into base camp. Everything was good. We dropped down uh, to different altitudes, climbed things at lower altitudes, came back, climbed up the mountain a little bit, down the mountain a little bit. You're living in a tent for this month. So the goal is get as, get as acclimatized as you can, but at that altitude, don't become weak. Try to eat as much as possible. Don't get sick. Don't get injured. There's that balance. Acclimatization versus basically deteriorating because we do deteriorate at, at those altitudes so the so question is there's the an so there's an opportunity throughout that entire month of acclimatization where this thing could have been called off of course 
uh, as we know, I mean, various years, avalanches, earthquakes, lots of things can happen. Even the day that you decide to go, I mean, you you have you go through this process to hopefully climb to the summit before the monsoon hits. So there's that weather window anyway. Before, you know, if you're climbing, if you think you're going to climb in the winter, it's just too cold. And then you've got this window before the monsoon hits. So even with that, the timing, it just could fall apart. Like monsoon could come in early and you're done. So there's so many things that everything could be called off. You could get injured. You could get sick. Lots of people do. One guy in my group eventually decided he, he was not acclimatizing well, wasn't sleeping. Everything was going downhill fast. Just didn't make sense for him. And he made the right decision to say, no, I'm not going. I mean, it doesn't make any sense for him. And it didn't, it stopped becoming a realistic dream that year. So he he called it off. I got super lucky. I got sick once and that was rough. That was our first rotation up the mountain from base camp. And, you know, basically what they would call deli belly. And I tried to remediate it with medications, probably took too many, wasn't able to eat, wasn't able to do anything and bonked. You know, there was no energy in my body. I got there, but that was one of the hardest days easily of my life. You know, going up through the Kumbu icefall, which is very dangerous, and just dragging yourself. Um, horrible, horrible, horrible. Bounce back, luckily. Could have gone the other way. I mean, somebody gets a cut on their hand at that altitude. Things don't heal. So I was very lucky that my gut's healed. And then I got strong again, and things really, really took off. So I got lucky. I mean, I don't want to say that I got lucky and that's all it was. I, like I said, I did all the work to get myself into a position to be lucky. I and like that you had mentioned all of the um, the points that you were putting in, like the, what'd you call them? The- uh, Oh my, you know, my, my bank of uh, percentage points. Percentage of points. Prob- probability points of success. Yeah, so you had a nice big savings of probability points of success that were helping you in this phase. Oh yeah, and I drained a lot of those. Nice. So if I wasn't fit, if I wasn't fit, if I wasn't uh, healthy and I wasn't in the right mindset, like I didn't know what adversity was in mountains, I would have called it quits. No question. Because I didn't satellite TV over good food. Yeah. But I would have called it quits. I think if I hadn't had adversity before this, right. You have to be a little bit tough. Like it's not, nothing's easy. You're climbing uphill. No matter what it is, you're climbing uphill. So that's work. And with everything else, and then to be sick is, is a rough go. But But let's talk about the climb up. I I want to hear what that experience was like for you're finally at your end point, you know, for this big dream. It was pretty amazing. I mean, I knew two of, you know, still to this day, two of my best friends, but older guys than me by about 20 years uh, were on my team. And with age, acclimatization becomes a little bit rougher. So I was ready before everybody in my group. And I was ready before most of the rotations that were going on. There's you know, hundreds and hundreds of climbers, as you see in these this photos, uh, that want to try to hit the summit on the best weather day, when they're the best acclimatized, before the monsoon, and when they haven't deteriorated enough or sufficiently to call it off. But I was kind of getting to the point a little bit earlier. And one of my guides said, Mike, you need to think about going out on your own, not staying with your two friends. And because if you get the chance to do it early, one, there's not going to be that many people on the mountain. If you can get a weather window, it's the same. And if things don't go well, you still have time to try it again. 
But if you wait till the end and you do everything like everybody else is doing, you're going to get one shot because likely the weather window is going to shut after the 23rd of, of April. So I had to think about that a lot. And then I talked to my friends and it was rough, I must say, to like, because we had gone through all of this. And at the end of it, like, what are you talking about? You have to go, go, get going. So was I 100% where I could have been? No. So there's a little bit of acclimatization. Uh, I climbed with some incredible people um, and, you know, some of them that are quite famous uh, mountaineers right now. And they just took off on me. Like it was, they had done, you know, many days up the mountain and I had done one. And so, but by the time we got to camp four, which is the highest camp on the mountain, around 8,000 meters, that's when you get into the death zone. Something clicked. Like I had a rough day the day before going from camp three to camp four. You know, you don't really sleep. You don't really eat. So there's about 72 hour period where you're kind of just going. You're living in your, in your down suit. You don't change. You're just eating what you can because your body's decided what it's going to do with the oxygen that's available, brain and heart, not stomach. So you're doing whatever you can do to survive and you're starting to get some fever. You're starting to see the summit. Like it's attainable. It's, it looks like it's there. And I got to camp four and luckily I slept. I don't know how I did it. And I ate pretty well. And then we got up at around 9 p.m. to start the summit push. There was a lot, I would say, of people that started off. But in comparison to, you know, a week later, when I got to, you know, finally got to the summit and I felt strong, I felt strong during the night. Everything was going really well. Um, I was kind of surprised at how well, uh, how good I felt. Uh, oxygen was flowing. Of course, I used oxygen. And I got to the summit and there was less than 10 people on the summit with me, at times two or three. So taking that risk, 100% worth it. I mean, to be able to stand on the summit and take your oxygen mask off and not be in a lineup of people up and down and worrying about how you're going to go back down on the same line that 300 people are climbing up on. Amazing. So, but you do get to the top and you do get your 25 minutes at the top. And maybe, you know, for your photos, you take off your oxygen mask for 25 seconds and then quickly decide, I shouldn't be here <laughs> without an oxygen mask. Can you put that back on? Um, but you are cognizant that that's half the journey, right? You have to get back down and you're going to be going back down when you're your most tired. So you have to really know. And going downhill, everybody's like, oh, going downhill must be easy. Yeah. All right. If you go into any gym, and you look at any training equipment for cardio or anything, what is the movement? Uphill movement. Ellipticals, maybe can go backwards. Any stair stepper, anything else is always uphill. So you're training uphill. You're not training downhill. Going downhill is rough. So you are cognizant of that you need to get back down safely as well. And it's not gonna be stop at camp four, stop at camp three, two. No, you're gonna go all the way back down to camp two. Maybe even all the way back down to camp one on that same day. So you have to know that you're not done when you're at the summit. And that was something that I was very worried about. I got my pictures and I was like, all right, before everybody else gets up here, and there's probably, you know, maybe 50 people that needed to get to the top, I'm going back down. And I didn't waste any time. I mean, I'd been there. And I'm not going to say it was underwhelming. I mean, incredible views, things, but you're also hypoxic and are kind of loopy and you don't really know what you're seeing and your memories are not great uh so get some photos and then 
get back in the headspace that you're a climber and climbing back down is the imperative. And that's, that's kind of where we, we did, you know, we decided, all right, it's time to go. So and, you didn't learn anything from your Nordic friends and bring your skis with you? Uh, you know, there are people that have <laughs> skied from the summit. I have no clue. And I will tell you this. I don't have the skills to do that. I'm sure that there are some people that look at it and like, yeah, that's feasible. <laughs> you're, not, you're not that strong in that department. It's, it's very similar to like, I think, you know, people, people will always, I won't swear, but people will always poop on guys that use oxygen. You know, like I still get people that ask me, but did you use oxygen? Yes. You know why? Because I like my fingers and I like my nose and that's a level of risk. I'm not going to, I'm not willing to take for a two month expedition. If I did it in three, got acclimatized for an extra month, maybe. But people just don't get it, right? Like, and it is so. Like, yeah, I know There's you're joking. The guy eating the chips and dip on his couch, right? Exactly. Like, and I'm not going to. I'm not going to disparage anybody. I mean, you 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 repeat what you hear, and now you know people always talk about. Oh, but now it's such a commercial climb. All right, go do it. Let me know. Let me know when you come back. So I want to ask you too, because I read this in one of your articles. Um, tell me about the Lotsi bonus. The bonus that you were going after is like the Royal flush of climbing. You know, so there is a mountain. It's a, the next door neighbor to Everest. It's called Mount Lhotse and it's the fourth highest mountain in the world. And when we talk about like the highest mountains in the world, everyone's like, Oh, second highest mountain in the world. You know, everybody talks about Everest because of course it's the highest mountain in the world. It's one everybody knows, you know, it's got an Anglophile name and everything is, you know, but Lhotse, this is my opinion, harder mountain. K2, which I don't think I will get the chance to do in my life, a much harder mountain, just because uh, Everest is the highest, which you have to do because it's highest. Like, I get it. But Lotse was kind of, it was looking so enticing to me. So at the beginning of this trip, my friends were only going to climb Everest. And I was going to try to climb Everest, then do as they, you know, sort of go down to camp four, a little bit lower and try to sleep and then try to get the summit of Lhotse, which isn't really climbing both mountains. But it was available. It was there. And I thought, if I've already done this training, I may never get back to this point of fitness. I may never get to the point where I'm here again. It's there. Try to get it done. But because I went early on Everest and then I had to go back down to base camp because weather was coming in. My dreams of trying to do this, you know, over the saddle and try to get the the other summit, they were gone. And I was like, okay, you know, because it was it was always secondary, and it was if it was possible, I was going to do it. So I got back down to base camp, and I got back down, met my friends. They left the next night, and to go try to climb Everest. And then you know they would have been there maybe a week after I had been on the summit because it does take days to get up. It's not like you, know, you leave base camp and you're there the same day. Um, and then I was sort of resting and I was one giant red blood cell at that point. I'd just been at the top of the world and I was feeling in incredible. I didn't even have a blister. Like it was, was kind of like, how is this even possible? Compared to the first day where I went up my first rotation of the mountain, and I got sick. I was feeling like a million bucks. I ran down to a place called Gorak Shep, which is a little bit farther down to base camp and just ate and ate and ate and ate and ate, and ate. because I hadn't eaten like a lot in a long time because my body had decided what it was going to do with the oxygen. You were and the that, North American Sherpa at this time? It was, it was bonkers that I was able to do it. And I do remember, which is a little bit, you know, a little bit, uh, as they say in Spanish, egoista. Um, I do remember 
on my way down and you still have all of these giant peaks around. I was like, I've been higher than that. I've been higher than that. I've been higher than that. <laughs> I'm glad nobody's with me. And maybe you cut this out. But um, I got back that day and the head sharp of the Sergar, uh named Namga Sherpa, who unfortunately has died recently. But um, he said, Mike, we've got an Indian team that's going to go try to do uh, Lotse in two days. Two days or one day. It was like, it's crazy. And I was thinking to myself, I'm down, you know? And then I went back to my tent and I said, Mike, you're here. You've already done it. Like what other position would be better for you to be in than your one giant blood cell? You're ready to go. You're still fit. Uh, maybe you've lost a ton of weight. Sure. But you know the route, which is like 90% the same. Um, you know the ice fall. Go. And I, when I decided I was going to go, like I didn't tell anybody at home because anybody at home was going to say, you know, no, no, you're already down. You don't need to go through the ice fall again. You don't need to do this again. But I was there and I'd already done the work. It would be such a shame to not take that chance. So I went with these guys. I felt um, like a million bucks. I raced up through the ice fall. I got to camp two, like literally two hours faster than I was able to get there when I was doing Everest. Uh, got up to camp three, up to high camp on, on Lotse. And it was quite apparent that I was going to, I mean, I just been on Everest. I'm not going to disparage any of the other team, but they had not. And so it became apparent that we were going to separate. And I had an amazing day getting to the top. I was there alone on Lotse. I've got a photo, a selfie where I took from the top of Lotse with Everest in the back. At that time, I got a call on the radio, which was one of the guys that was on my team was on the summit of Everest when I was at the summit of Lotse. Oh, kind of cool. incredible, right? And, cool. and we got back down safely. It's hairy. Like that that mountain is really quite hairy. You need ropes and everything else, but it's very loose. There's lots of rocks, like, you know, you're dodging things, gigantic rocks, like you see on some of these YouTube clips. It's a real deal. And, but then I got back down and I remember getting back down to high camp and my Sherpa was like, oh, you know, he started smoking a cigarette and he was you know, <laughs> talking to his friends and he was like, Mike, um, when do you want to go? And I was like, I think I'm going to go down now. And he was like, because he'd been with me all day. He was like, all right. And, you know, you get on the rope and go down. It was incredible. I, you know, I, I used my auction all the way down because there is sort of thing. If you're going to crack a bottle, use it all. And I had yeah. almost, yeah, I had a half bottle. So I, I cranked it up and I felt fantastic because I wasn't able to prove anything at that point. I was, I was done. And, uh, it was, yeah, I must say that was probably more, satisfying because it was another it was another thing to prove that if you put in the work and a part of that to get to load say was doing everest if you put in the work the body is capable of a lot of things and the mind is capable of a lot of things to be able to have a mountain that high be so i don't want to say easy so enjoyable is testament to putting in the work to reap the rewards like i, it, I enjoyed it so much more than everest how long did that glow last for you? The glow? Gosh, it's it's weird. You know, like you do get that high at when you're doing it. And then when you, it's kind of like adrenaline, you know, when you get back down, you're, you crash a little bit, you know, and you get back to you know, your, your mind. And then it really did take a while for me to come to grips with what I had actually achieved. Because I was still in the fight or flight mode, like you know, for months I had been 
what are we going to do today? What can I do today to be more prepared for tomorrow? And it was part of the process and scared to that. So I remember on, well, I got back to Kathmandu and we did the thing and it was like, you know, weeks before I got back to Mexico City. And I remember I was taking a uh, video flying into Mexico City, gigantic city. It was at night, uh, all the lights. And I posted Instagram and I was crying. I'm going to cry now. And I was crying because it was like, you did it. Like it was amazing. So it took a while. It really did. So it's 2019, right? This is like yeah. the epilogue. You started from watching a show in 2013. Crazy. Six years to achieve this monumental task. What would say remained with you as the lessons learned? Yeah. Isn't it interesting that you would think that you would be able to, or the things that you would value would be, I did it. I got that done. But I value the process a thousand times more than the summits. So if it would suck if I didn't get the summits, of course, but I do value the process because I know what is possible in all aspects. I know what I can do with the right amount of work and the right amount of passion. I mean, I'm not going to go get my pilot's license because I don't want it. You know, like that's not something that's interesting, but I know what's possible if the work is put in and their passion is there and it's something that you want to do. So it really did, I said at the beginning of this, like there was a part of it, which was like, I wanted to be able to say that I climbed Everest. If you were to meet me, that would never come up in conversation unless you asked. Yes, I've been talking forever about it and I will talk forever about it if anybody asks, but it's not a part of my identity. It's on my CV because I'd be crazy to not you not use what I've got. Uh, you know, just the same way I'd be crazy to not put down Spanish as the language that I speak. Mm -hmm. So people do value it, so I do put it down. But it's not a part of my identity. The process, knowing that I can put together the pieces to be able to get to that end goal, and it at the end it looks like something that made sense, something that was well planned. It was, and that I know that that first bite of the elephant is the most important bite. Get that bite. You know, you might really like that elephant. So you know, you'll get you'll get to the end of it. So I do use that now in, you know, I work in, in sort of change management and in work processes and things like that. I can relate all of the things that I've put together to almost any challenge or or any end goal that somebody wants to get to in a business. So all of that stuff, the process way more valuable. So, but like the process, that's sort of the, the, the one thing you better like that process. I wrote that down one time. If you don't love the process, it'll crush you. So on the heels of that, you made a quote in another article that I read that said, everyday comfort brings you only to everyday places. In your post kind of massive challenge world, how do you stay uncomfortable? now yeah it sounds like i stole that quote doesn't it but i didn't yeah. I, uh, brilliant. it's a brilliant it's a good, quote right and i mean and it, it i don't want to sound pious with that either i mean but it's true if you for instance if you want to do all the same things that your parents did you're going to live your parents life but which is fine right i'm sure they lived a great life but if you want to do something different 
if you want to end up with something different, you have to do something different. Nothing's for free. Um, so now how do I stay uncomfortable? I don't climb right now. I mean, 2020, the pandemic hit. I had plans to go climb the third highest mountain in the world, and which was super big, super dangerous, super hard. And I was ready. Pandemic hit, closed the borders. It was done. Have I lost a little passion? Probably for mountaineering. And then I sort of got into the gym heavy. Because I can see the results of the work at the gym, it became a big part of my life. I love process. I love having schedules. I love having pieces of my life. Going to the gym mentally is great. Physically is great. How do I stay uncomfortable? I'll still go to the mountains when I start to feel too comfortable. I start to feel like I've got my Netflix. I've got my food. Everything is, you know, everything's great. There is a really great quote and I'm going to screw it up. But the first guy to row across the Atlantic, he was asked the same question, why? And he was like, well, the things that we do become comfortable, find a place to live, be warm, find food. Those are things that animals do. I wanted to do something that only humans do, which is something that doesn't make sense, something that is hard, something that is uncomfortable. I don't just want to be an animal. I want to be a human. So that's kind of it. Like when I do get too comfortable and I start to go a little bit crazy and I start to, like, I'm like a dog. You need to run a dog or it'll eat the furniture. I need to go to the mountains and suffer. And I know I'm going to go to the mountains and suffer. I know it's going to be cold. Sometimes the weather's bad and I'll go. Um, Mexico's in fantastic for training for mountains, by the way. You know, within two hours, I can be at, at 4,000 meters at a parking lot and then climb to 5,200 meters within 10 hours if you're fast. And But that's rough. Like it's it's suffering, but it's suffering that I like to do. And you reset yourself. Great book, by the way. I don't know if you've ever read it called The Comfort Crisis. Maybe a little bit of fluff, but a lot of it is basically saying we're bred to live in fight or flight, right? Like we have to have some impetus to catch that gazelle or to, you know, go pick berries because we're hungry. If we don't have impetus to do stuff, we don't do stuff. If everything is real easy, we don't do anything spectacular. So, like, and then we'll invent things to be stressed about. We'll invent things to, like, we'll be like, oh, traffic's horrible. Okay. If you reset yourself and you go and you suffer for a while, that traffic, that's not a big deal. And it's not a big deal, right? Yeah. So that's what, that's one of the things I actually teach a lot is the idea that if we, our brain is designed to solve problems and right. if we don't give it a good problem to solve, it'll create bad problems. That's a perfect <laughs> way to put it. And will it ever, you know, it's, it's the same adage, you know, the devil's hands, uh, sorry, uh, idle hands are the devil's workshop, right? Like if you are not busy being productive, you will be busy being unproductive. Yeah. And probably destructive. Yeah. Destructive. I think that's a great, that's a great way to go. So, you know, Mike, this was really awesome. And I'm so, so thankful that you came on the podcast today, to share your story and your insights um, it was incredible, man. I could have listened to you. No, I really enjoyed it. Thanks for having me. Thanks again. And everybody, you know, like I said, I'll put some of the links below to some of the great resources Mike talked about during this podcast. And we'll see you all next week on Tools for the Modern Man. Thank you for listening to the Tools for the Modern Man podcast. If you like what you heard today, drop me a review on iTunes or share it with a friend. And if you want to learn more about working with me, you can always look me up at www.petebeskis.com. Thanks and see you all next week.